Hello and welcome once again to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols. What will happen when parents or carers are no longer able to look after a child with a disability? What help is there in the community and how do you go about finding it? There's one organisation that's been helping with this problem worldwide and is now in the Hunter trying to get firmly established. To talk with me today about the organisation is Dr Jeff Rigby, Chairman of the Board of Hunter Friends of Larsh and Lorraine Austin. Jeff, Lorraine, thank you both for coming in. Jeff, tell me about Larsh. How did it start and where? Yes, well, Larsh is an international federation consisting of um, over 135 communities in some 30 countries around the world. And Larsh communities basically are communities where people with and without intellectual disabilities share their lives together in very much a family environment. Often uh, we celebrate the unique value of every person and we also recognise the need uh, of one another to share our lives together. Going back to the beginnings of L'Arche, L'Arche really started back in 1964 um, by a Frenchman, um, Jean Vanier, and um, Jean was a, um, in fact the son of one of the Governor-Generals of Canada at the time and um, he uh, had a professional career in the, um, in the Navy and he also was a university philosopher. Um, but as he started to seek out some direction for his future life, he came in contact with a number of people in institutions, mental institutions at that time, and he became very concerned, I guess, about the marginalisation of these young people and to the point where he decided that he really wanted to try to do something about that and so he gave up his job as a university uh, lecturer and um, invited a couple of these young men to come and join him and to live with him in a small house that he brought uh, in a little um, town north of Paris called Trolley and uh, from there he established probably the first uh, last uh, community. He felt that he was able to uh, provide an opportunity for these young people to experience a community outside the institution, something that they hadn't been able to experience previously. And as time went on, more and more people became interested in his work and he understood that he could gain so much from these young people rather than him necessarily uh, giving to them. And so something quite unique started to happen and people became valued, uh, they had rights and freedoms, and um, many assistants then came to help him in, uh, in establishing his community. And um, the word lâche actually comes from the, uh, the French word the arc, which um, has connotations to the um, Noah and the Ark story, where in fact uh, we saw there in the Old Testament um, reference to the ark providing a, a place of refuge Mm. for people in distress and in many ways that's uh, how they feel about L'Arche it's a, it's a place of refuge for people who may be marginalised in their normal lives So at the time when he started his first house the French people had been in institutions the same as they, as they used to be here in Australia? Yes, very much the same I think um, soon after he uh, started his first house um, in Trolley, he was invited by one of his friends, in fact, to uh, look after a, a large group of people who, in fact, had come from a, a large institution. Mm -hmm. And that was where he started to realise that he could start to uh, be involved with very many more people. 
and from that very first house in Trolley, then more and more communities started to emerge, and uh, that's, uh, I guess, resulted in this very much larger organisation now, which consists of 100 or so communities around the world. In each community, there'd be a group of houses within that community where where people would live? Yes. Um, I guess it varies around the world, mm. depending on circumstances. In many parts of France, there would be quite a number of houses in uh, a larger community mm. group. In Trolley, where uh, where Larsh originated, there are probably um, the whole village community almost is, is, uh, consists of uh, communities that are associated mm. with the overall Larsh group there. So how long has it been in Australia? Yes, well, Larsh started in Australia back in 1977 when Jean Vanier himself first visited Australia. And um, it started in a disused convent in Bunkendore down near Canberra in 1978. Uh, and the uh, Genesaret community, which is the current community which mm-hmm. still exists in Canberra, was established. Are there other communities outside of Canberra? Are they in other Australian cities? Yes, at present uh, we have large communities existing in Hobart and Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne and, of course, Canberra, where, uh, where it all mm-hmm. started there. So how long have you been interested in setting up one here in Newcastle? Well, I guess um, Newcastle... Uh, has had a, a group of interested people now for maybe uh, the last 10 years or so who have mm. been looking at the possibility of setting up a large community here in, in Newcastle. And I guess it's, uh, it would be the, uh, the first community that exists outside of the, main, the major mm. cities in Australia at the moment. So do you get any government funding to set these organisations up? Well, at the moment, I guess funding for... Um, people with disability generally comes through the Department of Ageing, Disability and DATIC and Home Care, which mm. is commonly known as DATIC, as we, we all know. And um, they currently provide funding for a range of accommodation and disability services uh, in our area through organisations like Samaritans and Leapfrog and uh, Lifestyle Solutions and a variety of other uh, group home providers, I guess. But one of the difficulties at the moment is that funding for accommodation at least is channelled through the, the group home model, which uh, has been set up with these providers mm. that, that provide these services. However, this funding is um, pretty much limited, essentially, to clients who have been identified by DATIC as being in a crisis situation, and that means they really have nowhere else to go. Um, and these could come from anywhere in Australia, mm. in fact. Mm. Uh, but DATIC has also been developing other models in an attempt to create some more positions for people who find themselves in some of these uh, situations. And um, whilst we'd like to establish our first home in the area, there really is no funding currently available for people outside the DATIC crisis list. And almost all of the uh, 300 people or so in our area uh, who uh, have are in this situation where their their parents or foster parents are getting to the stage where they can really no longer continue to care for them, uh, that becomes a real problem. And uh, in many cases, these parents have really reached that stage where it's extremely difficult and they're concerned about what might happen to provide that ongoing care that they've been able to offer uh, so kindly and lovingly Mm. for the last 25 years or so in many cases. Do you find that in these situations, you mentioned that people can only get into the government-funded one in a crisis. What would stand as a crisis if the carers were sick or just simply not able to cope anymore? 
Yes, well, normally th- this would be in situations where maybe the um, the young people have been taken to a, an overnight respite care, for example, mm. and the parents just haven't come and picked them up, for example. Mm. Uh, that's almost the, the sort of crisis situation. So it's basically a situation where there are no other uh, options, basically. Mm. You're listening to Wellbeing, and today I'm talking with Dr Jeff Rigby and Lorraine Austin. Lorraine... Tell me how you're involved with all this situation. Well, I come to Larsh as a parent of a disabled young person and um, I started um, looking at Larsh because I liked the concept because they they don't only look after the physical side of a person but they also look after the emotional side and the spiritual side. So it looks at all dimensions for the for the person. Mm. And for young people who've been brought up with those concepts, it's good to have somewhere to look that looks further than just looking after their physical well-being. I heard Jeff talking a minute ago about crises as to why young people, you need to have a place for them when there's a crisis. Sometimes that's not just because of the the young person it's sometimes because uh, the parents reach a stage where they no longer are physically able to care for that Mm. child and that's a sad time for the parents because you have to come to the realization that uh, even although you might like to keep caring for your young person it's it's becoming an impossibility and so you have to reach out and I guess with placing a child or a young person in a home, it's an emotional um, upheaval for everybody involved. Mm. And I think Laash has something special to offer because it works on the principle of a, a community atmosphere and more. it's more like a home for them. As in having siblings around and, and yes. mum and dad or, yes. or other people in the family yes, because as they opposed see, to a, yeah. an institutional type. Yes, because the carers live at the home. Mm. Um, they don't come in on um, eight-hour shifts. Yeah. They live at the home and they they walk beside these young people. They, you know, di- people with disabilities have much to offer our community and I think that's not recognised a lot of the time that... Um, we can learn so much from these young people mm. and I guess that's something that um, Lash really draws out, those special points that the people with disabilities have. They can somehow or other find those little things that those, those people are good at. Jeff, you've been working with Lash for quite some time now. How did you get involved? Yes, well, I guess I was... Um Asked by a friend of, uh, of ours uh, if I might like to become involved in, um, in helping to set up some of the structure, I suppose, mm. that would be required for a large community, having had um, experience over a number of years in a range of activities and particularly uh, setting up um, groups and uh, organising various types of functions. Uh, I was asked if I might like to come along and help in that um, mm. that way, and um, I suppose, like um, Lorraine has said, um, over the years I've come to understand just how lovely it is to get to know um, some of these young people with disabilities, and to um, to uh, experience the the sharing and the, 
outpouring of uh, understanding and love that they can offer us. And so that's been sort of a, an ongoing privilege to be involved with that. And, of course, as time has gone on, we've sort of started to look at all sorts of ways in which we can progress our large interests mm. here in the Newcastle and Hunter area. So where are you actually up to at this stage? Well, I guess, um, as I said earlier, we, um, given the limitations that um, we have with substantial government funding for a house, um, in particular, uh, if we were looking at establishing a house here in the Newcastle Hunter area, it would probably cost us somewhere around $250,000 a year to um, operate this mm. household. Mm. And that really is, is sort of a bit of a pipe dream at the moment. So what we're hoping to do is to um, seek to establish a, uh, a more visible uh, community presence in the area. Mm. And to do that, what we uh, have talked about is maybe establishing a, a coordinator living in a, in a house that we would rent. And that coordinator then may also have access to uh, so some sort of a, a hall or facility where we could undertake a range of activities uh, like what we would normally mm. have in a community mm. house anyway. But that would then help us to firstly to have a, a visible uh, presence, at, uh, almost a shop front type presence. Yeah. And also then it would allow us to start to put in place a whole range of other organisational things that could attract... Um, people from other group homes as well as our large uh, community to become involved in and that would also then help us to set the scene if you like for mm. a, a, a future home where we would be able to translate that into a, a full-time community home as we, we as we would operate a family normally. Lorraine when been looking after Michael I think you see yes. his name is how much of involvement within the community and how much help did you have from that community at the time when Michael was was younger? My family is quite large and when Michael first came into my care I had um, eight children living in the home and uh, there was um, many um, therapy sessions that had to be had so I needed help from home care and um, that type of thing. I also, through the years, have used various uh, respite services um, to help with um, relieving the pressure mm. sometimes. And it also gave me the opportunity to be able to do things with some of my other children um, by having some respite for Mike. And I think that's healthy because it also meant that he could, uh, he learned to mix with other people and uh, to develop his social skills. Um, not just through the family, mm. and that was an important thing too. Of course, he's always been involved in a school program, mm. and um, and now he's involved in a in an after school program, Life Without Barriers. Jeff, if you had a, a house available, how many disabled people would you have to a house, and how many carers would you have? Yes, well, normally a traditional house would have, say, um, three or four people with intellectual disabilities and maybe one or two uh, full-time assistants who mm. would be living with them in this uh, family home. The size is pretty much limited, I guess, by the, the size of a, a practical house mm. that isn't, has mm. been available in the past. That mm. doesn't mean to say that in the future there couldn't be a larger sort of organisation, but traditionally, since most of the communities have arisen from small houses or 
uh, community homes that have been made available, uh, this is a sort of typical type of community. So we would normally have, um, as I say, three or four young people with disabilities and then one or two full-time assistants who would normally live their lives as part of that community. In addition to that, we would normally have a a house coordinator who organises the day-to-day details of that particular home. Mm. Uh, And then in communities where there are more than one home, then we would normally have an overall community coordinator who coordinates the the links between all of the different Mm. houses in that particular community. I guess in some of the very much larger groups, like in Canada, for example, there's a daybreak community there and they have hundreds of young people um, as core members or people with disabilities in in a variety of homes all over that part of the country. So it depends, I guess, on circumstances. circumstances. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and my guests today are Dr Jeff Rigby and Lorraine Austin. Jeff, you mentioned that about people with disabilities as being intellectually disabled, but do you have physically disabled people as well? Yes, we do. As I said, the, um, the variety of homes, I guess, um, have also a, a wide variety of, of people with disabilities living in them around the world. In some cases, these would be very severe uh, physical disabilities as well as intellectual disabilities. I suppose the original focus has always been uh, primarily on intellectual disabilities because sometimes if we try to combine uh, physical and other psychological disabilities, mm-hmm. if you like, with, uh, with intellectual disabilities, uh, it's sometimes difficult to, uh, to have uh, a coordinated and uh, workable situation, mm-hmm. like in a n- normal family, yeah. I suppose. That means that we, we, we do need to be very careful that we, uh, we have people living together who can share their lives in a workable fashion. Um, but that's not to say that in, in some of the communities we don't have people with, uh, with physical disabilities. In fact, one of the houses in Brisbane, we have a, a young person there who has many, many uh, difficulties through various disabilities and he spends uh, virtually all of his time lying in his bed through the day. But that doesn't stop him from participating in activities that go on within that household, uh, even if it means just being in his wheelchair or in his bed watching the others wash up, he still sees that as part of his job and he's participating mm. by being mm. part of that. And I suppose that's really one of the, the real things about LASH. Uh, we try to um, involve the, uh, the people with disabilities in all uh, aspects of the community life, based on, of course, their abilities mm. to, to do various things. Lorraine, the, the children that you've had or the people that you've had and looked after... Was it a mixture of mental and, and physical disabilities? Yes, I've had children who um, had emotional problems that needed to be s- s- sorted out and mm. you don't always sort them out either. You walk beside them mm. and sometimes they really struggle with their with their problems. I guess it's it's like with, with all children, you just have to walk beside them whatever their road is. Mm. And some some seem to struggle more as they grow up than others. Some seem to just fly through and just um, take things in their stride, and other other young people seem to always need to have that helping hand. Jeff, are there many people in the community like Lorraine? 
Yes, indeed. I think um, in our um, Newcastle Hunter area, we would be aware of probably something like 300 families who would find themselves in similar situations. And um, recently I attended a, a forum which had been organised by the Samaritans Group on the Central Coast. And in fact, the, uh, the title of that forum was Who Will Care For My Child When I'm Unable To? Mm. A very topical discussion. And in fact, um, the, the auditorium was packed down there and I gave a, a brief presentation about our large interests. But it was just wonderful being part of that, that group. You could just sense a, a real empathy between all of the people that were there. And in many cases, uh, very elderly people, I would say that uh, the majority of the people that were there uh, would have been well beyond uh, retirement age and some very mm. much older. And I think that highlighted to me the um, the real concern that these people have for their for their children mm. and um, many of those in fact most of those people came away from that that forum without very many answers and so I think that's highlighted the real issue yeah. that there is a one might say there's a crisis situation mm. starting to emerge and I think there's a lot of pressure now being put forward by the government through DADIC and other organisations to try to do whatever they can to keep these young people uh, living as they are at the moment because mm. they see the fact that they're living in a family home and they're being cared for. But what they're not really addressing is the issue of what is going to happen um, in some years to come when these people are no longer able to do that. And uh, it would seem that it would be much better to be able to um, put in place some activities, like, for example, a large home mm. that would allow us to set up a community home for four or five of the young people in our community without having to wait until they reach that stage where they need to go on a crisis list and there's a huge costs and disruptions and all sorts of things mm. associated with that sort of... And it's obviously very difficult for the one who is disabled to be moved out of that environment into maybe a, a community home mm. um, where they lose the contact and the mm. and I guess a lot of them live quite strictly to a routine so their oh. routine is broken and and mm. that causes problems of its own mm. I, I find that um, I think one of the things that has been my dream as Michael's grown up is that I, I would be able to place Michael myself mm. while I was still well enough to do that not for it to just happen because suddenly, I'm incapacitated and can't care for him. Mm. And I think I've been to a lot of meetings too, and I hear the same story. Yeah. So many people yeah. in the Hunter are crying out. But it's not just they, in the Hunter, of course. It's it, Of course, but right we across, see this because we're here, here yes. you know. Yeah. And I, I think it's very sad. Some areas, some areas of Australia seem to be managing better than what yeah. we are, but I, you know, but it's a common problem that wherever. Yes, yes. So, Jeff, what would you like to see happen in the next, let's say, five to ten years? Well, I think what we would hope that we could do here in the Newcastle area is obviously to continue developing our our community as we have it. Um, we hold regular community gatherings where we get together and uh, offer support and understanding for each other. We do also offer a whole range of um, social functions and we've been organising a range of workshops, um, including some very successful coffee shops uh, 
that have provided an opportunity for some of the young people to enjoy the music because many of them love love music. We have two very talented watercolour artists as part of our community and they're happy to uh, to help with uh, encouraging some development of some artwork which once again is a, a marvellous way of uh, reaching these, uh, these young people. But of course in order to uh, develop some of the ideas a bit further along the lines of what we would normally do in our community homes, we would like to establish uh, some sort of a more formal community presence, as I mentioned earlier, where we would hope that we could have a, a one or two people living together and um, organising a range of the normal activities that would take place in a community home. For example, we could organise maybe to have overnight respite care for, say, Michael, for example, mm. he could come and stay over the weekend, for example, um, and we could arrange some, some other workshops and maybe um, day programs which could also link in with other programs that may be happening within the area. And so we see that as a, as a, a, a feasible way of further developing uh, our outreach as well as developing the LASH uh, model which would ultimately then help us to move into a, a community home. Now we feel that we could achieve that by a much smaller amount of money. I mentioned earlier maybe mm. we would need $250,000 each year to run a community home. We think that probably to set something like that up and to run that, we could maybe do that for uh, the vicinity of $75,000 a year. Uh, and we have been raising a range of funds ourselves over the last uh, few years, and so we could contribute to that. So maybe, you know, we're looking at some sort of recurrent funding of $50,000 a year for a couple of years. And so we're working towards hoping that that will become a reality, um, and we would we would hope that we could see that start to happen um, in the not-too-distant future. Jeff, if people listening would like to know more about LASH, even interested in offering you some support, how can they find out more and how can they contact you well we would love to hear from anybody that is that is interested we we would welcome participation in any of our events uh, our community gatherings or our other workshops and uh, they could uh, call me on um, 49430450 that's 02 if they're not living in the Newcastle area that's right yes and we also have a uh, a LASH website www.lash.org AU, and uh, if uh, if people go to the communities part of that, and they'll find hundred friends of Larsh, and that will provide a calendar of all of our events, together with some information about our background and some of the more recent activities in which we've been involved. I might add, Jeff, that Larsh is spelt L-A-R-C-H-E. Lorraine, Jeff, thank you so much for coming in and telling us more about Larsh. Of course, we wish you well in your endeavours and thank you for being here. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to share some of our thoughts with you. My guests today have been Dr Jeff Rigby. He's chairman of the Hunter Friends of Larsh and Lorraine Austin. As always, we thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the programme. This is Iris Nichols on behalf of us all, wishing you well.